Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. It takes the power of shame away when you name it. When you can say, yeah, it's true. I did do something really bad. I did hurt someone. I did sin and I did fall short. However, what God did on the cross paid the debt for my sin and my shame. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect podcast. You know, if you have ever heard me speak or read any of my books, you've probably heard me say that we have to stop comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And today's conversation will illustrate why. My guest today is Tasha Layton. After four years of touring as a backup vocalist for Katy Perry, Layton was first named one of Billboard's top five female Christian artists of 2020. Yet, with all of that success, she couldn't escape the lies that had taken root early in her life. And that is why it's important that we understand that external success does not mean that there aren't internal struggles. It's also why it's important for us to share a story like Tasha is doing in her new book, Look What You've Done, and a story that she'll share some on the podcast today. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Tasha. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have to tell you, first off, that my 13-year-old granddaughter is quite impressed that I'm talking to you today. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should have brought her with you. I know. I know. She and um, her brother were staying with us for a couple days. Their parents were uh, taking a couple days for themselves. And uh and she and she had her her music on and your song came on um and we were talking about it and i said um hey i'm going to be i'm going to be talking with her for the podcast she was like what oh that's so sweet i you know I, i'm so thankful that there are more females right now in christian music who are writing strong songs that young women can sing and learn. I think it's so important to have to have that. And uh, so I'm really happy to hear that and um, really happy to see more women in our genre right now. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, and young girls like my granddaughter, they need good role models. So, um, yeah, that was really, that was neat. And here's the funny thing too, your book, when it came in the mail, my husband snagged it and he was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's a book, you know, that I'm uh, looking at doing a podcast episode on. And he was like, oh, this looks really good. I'm going to read it. And I mean, he inhaled it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, I, I fear, you know, when you come out with a pink cover, uh, there's always that, that risk of men not wanting to to read it, you know. Um, it is very pink. It, it 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 well, it's a muted pink. It's a muted pink. It is. But, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, t- I think I think having the forward written by Bob Goff was a help to you, uh, for sure. Yeah. If it's going to be pink, then let's put Bob Goff on the front, right? And uh, at yeah. least. Uh, but seriously, I think it was the subtitle that really drew my husband in, which is the lies we believe in the truth that sets us free, because he has been on a very similar journey mm-hmm. to what you have walked through that ultimately led to you writing this book. And wow. so um so I think that's what grabbed him and I mean he sat and read that thing and was like Jill Jill this is so good this is so good. you have to interview her this is so good. So oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> So, I so with that kind of laying the groundwork here, um, you know, it's been so good to hear some of your story, uh, to become more familiar with your journey. But let's take a few minutes and share an overview of your story for those that are listening in who have no context for our conversation. And, um, so will you tell about your family, your growing up years? Just kind of give us an overview of, of your journey in life? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. We had a volunteer fire station and a flashing light. Um, (laughs) And the flashing light wasn't technically ours, but we claimed it, you know, and um, my parents took us to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Uh, But what I knew of religion was sort of a hard pew and being told to be quiet and i always make the joke frilly socks that itched because i'm a child of the 80s and um i just you know that's what i knew of god and when we switched churches when i was eight or nine i can i can still remember the smell of the room walking in and they were worshiping and it was it was so powerful for me i i felt the presence of god for the first time and i became really hungry to know him and the things of god and scripture and so i joined the youth worship team i went on mission trips i did everything i could do i was there every sunday morning every sunday night every tuesday night prayer meeting and i was the only one without a hearing aid i didn't care um i just wanted more of god and so uh that made it all the more painful though when i was really wounded in church um there's that's another story for another podcast jill but um church hurt is a real thing and i was 16 i didn't have the tools to process what was happening and the church ended up splitting i was so wounded from what happened my family left the church i left the church and i went searching because i was hurting Mm -hmm. i didn't i i couldn't reconcile uh what i had experienced in the church and the the wounds and the the hurt from christians who were really judgmental instead of 
kind and loving uh, with what I had read about in the gospel. And so um, I went searching. I went to try to find truth. And I went to Buddhist meditation camp and synagogue and mosque and studied mysticism. And at the end of that road of searching, I try to take my life. And, you know, anybody who knows that about me now would never believe it because I love life and I feel free and I love my family and myself and God. Um, But back then that was not the case. And so uh, I had kind of a realization at that lowest of low that in all these other religions, you're striving to pursue enlightenment or God or try to be good enough. But in the gospel, Jesus is pursuing us. And so I thought, I'm just going to force myself to go back to church. I felt really inspired by Judaism and the fact that they, um, you know, obey these external rules, no matter how they feel. They won't even turn a light on on Sabbath, you know, and I thought I can do this. I can walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to force myself to go back to church, whether I feel it or not. And at some point, something's got to stick because I've tried everything else. And so a year later, the pastor said, if you want to touch from God, come up and we want to pray for you at the end of the service. And I left three hours later. I was just a sobbing mess. I felt again for the first time in a long time. And it was an altar moment in my life that changed the trajectory of everything. Um I remember the call of God on my life. I went to seminary. I was a worship pastor for four years. Then I ended up on the road with Katie and I was like, what in the world is happening? I don't know why I'm doing this, Um, but I felt the Lord telling me to do it. And so when that happened, um, I wasn't sure what God was doing, but looking back, hindsight is 2020, they say, and I can see what he was doing. Uh, because when I stepped into what I do now, the ministry God's called me to now, um, I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have any distractions of learning uh, production and touring and all that stuff. I could literally just focus on the ministry. And so um, I went through a lot of years, though, where I, like you said in your intro, things seem successful on the outside, but I was crumbling underneath. And That was because I had not fully dealt with the lies that had entered my heart in childhood. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about those lies because we don't understand. We don't understand how those get rooted into our mind and into our heart. And oftentimes we're just, we're not even aware of them. So will you share some of those that were, pulling you down and causing you pain that you weren't even aware of. Yeah. So, you know, the enemy is the father of lies, scripture says, and he's not strong enough to take us out, but if he can get us to believe a lie, we'll just self-destruct. And I, I think there were things in my childhood that happened that I thought were just normal things that people experience bullying or an embarrassing situation or a hurtful comment by someone um, I thought was just life. And then sitting on a therapist's couch at 30 years old, I realized, no, that was more influential for me than I realized. And I have been making decisions through the lenses of those lies. I've been seeing myself, God, and other people through those lenses. And a couple examples, uh, one would be I um, was in first grade and 
I drank a lot of water that morning before school and I got to school and I needed to go to the little girl's room. I asked my teacher, Mrs. Caldwell, I'll never forget her name. And uh, I can still smell school pizza and pencil shavings when I think of her. Um, but the, the task that morning in class was to read in front of the class. Everyone was to take a turn. Okay. And I'd asked to go to the restroom several times and she had denied me because she thought that I was trying to get out of reading. And so when I get up to take my turn, I wet my pants in front of the whole class. And instead of sort of handling that, maybe like a parent would or a caring person, she put me in the bathroom in the back of the classroom and she left me there for the rest of the day. And uh, my mom almost burned down the school, you know, uh, and I think as a parent, I would have almost burned down the school. But um, I just I didn't realize how much that had influenced me and you know because god stands outside of time he was there when things happened but he's still there because he created time and so he's not bound by a timeline the way we are and so you can ask the holy spirit to take you back to those moments and that's exactly what i did and i described the situation mm -hmm. uh, my counselor said where were you and i described mm -hmm sitting with my knees up against my chest and holding on to my knees um embarrassed you know in the bathroom mm. floor next to the toilet and he's he said what are you feeling right now and i think it's very important that we recognize our emotions because mm -hmm. um, i tend to stuff them sometimes i can't even name them because i'm not sure i just know i'm feeling something and so uh when i could name those emotions i felt embarrassed I felt dirty. I felt not like everyone else. And he said, where was Jesus in the room? Mm -hmm. And Jill, that's when everything shifted for me. Because mm -hmm. I think when bad things happen to us, we fail to see God's presence in it. We fail to see what, that he was with us the whole time because it's hard to believe uh, that when bad things happen. And so I started to cry because I, I just saw Jesus sitting right next to me and he was looking at me so lovingly the way I would look at one of my kids if this had happened to them with compassion and with care. And he scooped me up into his lap, never mind the fact that I had soiled pants and I felt dirty and ashamed. And he just hugged me and said, he said, you are wonderful. You are beautiful. You're just the way I made you. And in that moment, with the Holy Spirit and my counselor going back to that place and hearing those words. You know, it's one thing for someone to say you are loved by God, you're valuable to Him, or for you to read it, God loves you, you're valuable to Him. It's another to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Mm -hmm. And that is where the power was for me. I needed to uproot that lie and say, this is the lie I believed. Right. That I was shameful that I was dirty, that I wasn't like everyone else. And I made vows to myself. I said, I'll never let anyone reject me. I'll never be embarrassed again. You know, things that we tell ourselves. And so in that moment, I felt such healing wash over me and such love from the Father that I I haven't experienced the the shame from those lies ever since and mm. it, it broke the power of it in my life oh that's beautiful 
Thank you for sharing that because I think that we all have moments in our life, like you said, that we just look at, that's just life, but we don't realize the impact those had on our life. We don't realize the story we told ourselves in that moment to deal with it. And so there's such value in going back and understanding where we call those. uh, So my husband and I are marriage coaches, and we spend a lot of time with couples in crisis or couples that feel like their marriage isn't all that it can be and they want it to be more. But we do a lot of digging into childhood and digging into those messages, those lies. And we call them marker moments. Those are marker Mm -hmm. moments in life where something happened and we had to, to, to survive it. We had to tell ourselves a story, right? And that's what you did in that moment. So very powerful. I think sometimes we feel stuck and we don't even know why. Like you said, you're, you feel it and it's, it's so influence is powerful and it's subtle. Yes. And you don't even know some things that affect you. You think, you know, the, the big hairy ones like bullying or an embarrassing situation, like I just mentioned, but I had another one where uh, I came home from school one day, really excited to tell my dad something mm-hmm. and he had had a hard day at work and I was uh, excited and he sort of sternly told me to be quiet. Mm-hmm. That is such a subtle thing. Yeah. Uh, but in that moment, I thought the lie that I told myself was I'm not worth getting to know. Mm-hmm. And I felt so hurt by that and and so devalued by it. Um, and I was so little and I, I honestly didn't even remember it until someone helped me try to dig out, you know, where everything started. And so I think when you are beginning the process of trying to figure out where things started for you and digging deeper, I think it's very important to write down everything that you could have ever thought could have hurt you, um, yes. even the minute things, because turns out for me in my story, it was the minute things that um, affected me more than the dramatic things. It yes. was the small, subtle things where I took messages from that, like you said. Yes, yes. Doing, um, you know, one of the things we sometimes do is have people do a timeline of their life. And we were working with someone just the other day and working with her alone. And we, we did a timeline and we got to, I think it was eighth grade. And I said, so tell me about eighth grade. And she said, oh, eighth grade is when I ceased existing. And I said, mm-hmm. you ceased existing. And she said, yeah, my brother was diagnosed with something, uh, with a terrible uh, illness and my parents focus had to go there. And so she said, I stopped existing to them. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, talk about a marker moment. So uh, I don't matter. Yeah. Um, My problems don't matter. My emotions don't matter. All of those kind of messages like took hold. And that's what you're talking about here is looking at these moments, which, you know, you might say, you know, a lot of people's trauma is very obvious. It's like really bad things happen to them. You're talking about everyday normal things that happen to you. And, and 
you know, your your dad had a bad day, but because of the vulnerability of your heart, he, it, it, I mean, the enemy used that moment to plant that little lie. And, yeah, then, you, and then we make vows. We say, I'm not going to be vulnerable again. I'm not going to try to be vulnerable again because yep. it hurt too badly. And as a five and six year old, you know, uh, you are, you don't have the tools to process all of nope. that. Your brain hasn't even <laughs> fully formed. Your emotions are not mature and uh, under the reign of the Holy Spirit in any sense of the word. And so um, trauma can just live there in your body. And, you know, uh, physiologists and, and doctors say, you know, we hold trauma in our bodies. And I think, you know, you sometimes we we hold it so much. One, one thing I'll mention, too, is psychologists say that our identity is our memories and when someone is traumatized or say there's a rape victim or an abuse victim, sometimes they'll have a memory block. And that's really essentially their body um, trying to maintain its identity, make, to maintain who you are mm -hmm. uh, and, and block that out. And it's the same thing when you uh, get too busy, you know, uh, you realize you left your keys in the fridge or you're, <laughs> you've been looking for your sunglasses for 10 minutes and they're on your head. It's like yeah. when we get so busy um our memory starts to fade we, we don't remember things and there's a reason god uh said that we needed to observe sabbath and that we needed to be still and know that he was god is because when we stop and create space for mm -hmm. us to remember um who god is and who we are then it brings identity back to our lives and i think um, you know, stopping to remember trauma, stopping to open yourself up to that is a hard process. Mm -hmm. It is scary. Um, it's, it's hurtful. It brings up shame a lot of times, but it is so necessary to know who we are in Christ, who he made us to be. Yes. And we cannot fully live in that place of freedom and identity in Christ unless we re-engage those memories that are hurtful and allow God to show us where he was when that happened and what he wants to say about it. And I will say any memory that I've brought to the Lord in that process, I have yet to be bound by it since. That, yes. that when he deals, it's like full heal. It's like healings. It's not magical. Sometimes it's not immediate for, for some folks. Um, but for me, a lot of times it has been immediate healing, uh, healing that maybe I have to remind myself of sometimes, but, uh, but it doesn't have the weight because things in the spiritual are so much more real than what we see in the physical. And if there's a stronghold of your life, and the enemy wants to keep you bound by a lie of course he doesn't want you to delve into that um mm -hmm. but man do i feel free now having done that work and uh and it's given me a process to deal with what happens today and tomorrow and in the future that i can stop in that moment scripture says take every thought captive that exalts yep. itself above the knowledge of christ so when you have that uh, a current thing happen that you know, you can feel sort of that lie trying to enter in, you can stop and apply this process to it. Say, God, okay, what am I feeling right now? What am I telling myself? And what do you have to say about it? How do you want to combat this lie with your truth so that it doesn't even get a, get a chance to take root? Um, yes. Our pastor uh, here in Tennessee 
preached a message one time about taking every thought captive, and he said, um, it only takes about 30 seconds for something, for a thought to take root in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of do it immediately sometimes. Like, as soon as I think, oh, I'm not good enough to do that or whatever, stop stop and fight yeah <laughs> fight and try to stop that lie from entering and and you know there's grace like if if you do uh let that fester and you are living with it for years and years there's still the power of god to break that lie not saying oh, you have yeah. to catch it for 30 seconds but i'm saying if you can that's really beneficial it is. It really is. And w- I like to say that we have to build new we have to build new highways in our brain. Cuz the old the lies, those have been with us for a while. Those are well yes. those are well-traveled paths, right? Yeah. And so we really have to build a new path in our brain with God's truth. And we mm-hmm. have to practice his truth. Uh, we have to practice that truth over and over again so that when those lies want to raise up, we have something to grab yeah. hold of and to replace it with. Yeah. You know, I love your song. Number one, I love your song, Look What You've Done. I love that song. And for those of you that haven't heard it, I will make sure that we uh, include a link uh, in the show notes so that you uh, have the ability to listen to the words. They are so powerful. But when I think of look what you've done, you know, for me, it really feels like there's a double meaning because first there is the taunt of the accuser. Look what you've yes. done. You should be ashamed of yourself. And really that's kind of what happened with that little first grade, that, that, first grade teacher, look what you've done. You're going to have to stay in the bathroom now, but then look what you've done. These words become the praise of your rescuer. Look what you've done. God, you've dug up my roots. You've healed my wounds. Your truth has set me free. Look what you've done. That's so powerful. And that my favorite line in the song, Jill, is yes. I thought I was too broken, but now I see you were just breaking new ground inside of me. Yes. 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 So yes. And in that moment where you were just talking about taking your thoughts captive, it's when the enemy, the accuser, wants to come in and go, look what you've done. Look, look at who you yeah. are. And that's that's when he starts with the lies, which is what we have to flip to. Oh, look what God's done. Look at who I am. And so they're so, so powerful. Those words are so powerful. And we have to stop believing the look what you've done that the enemy says. And we have to start the the praise of God. Look, look what you, Lord, have done in my life. I think one of the biggest things that's that's hard for folks sometimes is maybe they've done something that is shameful. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're all we've all fallen short and um, we're all sinners saved by grace. So it's like, you know, it, I when the song came out, I had a lot of people in prison writing me letters, um, you know, and a lot of people in recovery celebrate recovery groups you know when you have done something shameful when you've been the perpetrator when you have been uh, the person to to create victims um you know it's tough to believe 
that there is grace for you, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, the enemy's saying, look what you've done, but yeah, I did mess up. I did do something really Mm -hmm. shameful and really terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, But it takes the power of shame away when you name it, when you can say, yeah, it's true. I did do something really bad. I did hurt someone. I did sin and I did fall short. However, what God did on the cross paid the debt for my sin and my shame. And there is grace and forgiveness and a sea of forgetfulness that that God will throw that into. And it will not hold power over my life. I'm not going to be defined by what I did or what was done to me. I'm going to be defined by Christ and who he says that I am. And I think when you when you come to that place where you're willing to say, um, you know, whether I've not done something and the enemy's mm-hmm. just trying to you know stick a lie to me yep or whether i have legitimately done something terrible uh and sinned either way god look what you've done it's not about yes. what i've done or how i've fallen short it's about what you have done on the cross for me and how much you love me and how much when you look at me you see jesus yes yes yeah so very very important you know when i I think about um, what you were just saying. I think of the words conviction and condemnation. Like if we, if we have done something that uh, like you said, um, you know, uh, we have sinned, we have uh, made a poor choice. We have hurt other people's lives. uh, May we always experience conviction, but never condemnation because conviction is like, I I did a bad thing. I don't want to do that again. Conviction yeah. is what keeps us. Well, it's ultimately what creates repentance and a U-turn in life. But mm-hmm. condemnation is when the enemy wants to come in and keep whispering that that thing that you did identifies you. And yeah, that you're not just ashamed of what you did, but you are a shameful person. Yes. And I think there's a difference between what we do and who we are at times. A good person can mess up and do something not so good. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It just means yep. they made a poor, poor choice. And I think so often the enemy wants us to identify um, our character as as uh, our, our flaws and our failures. Yes. And that just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. And, you know, I, I had someone tell me one time, you know, you don't have any uh, power over what's said to you or done to you, but you have power over how you're going to respond. And uh, I think in my life, I was a victim for a really long time Mm. uh, because of what had been said to me, done to me. And I needed to hand that over. And so for your listeners who are feeling like, how could I ever forgive Uh, someone for what they did or how Mm -hmm. could I ever leave this place of victimhood Um, you know I think forgiveness because I think it's linked to freedom so much Mm -hmm. uh, even of yourself but Mm -hmm. forgiveness doesn't make what they did right it doesn't let them off the hook uh, and it's not cheap forgiveness is not cheap and it's not weak or a place of vulnerability. It's actually a place of power over your own life to say, I'm not going to let this 
um, well, I'll say it this way. The Ten Commandments, the first four are vertical, but the yeah. rest are horizontal. So it's like, I'm going to, I have to take care of my relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. but also take care of my relationship with other people. And if they haven't asked for forgiveness or truly repented, I can't, I can't really offer it <laughs> technically, uh, but I can have a heart that's soft and give that judgment to God instead of sitting in the seat of judgment, my, judgment myself. I can hand that over to the Lord and say, you know what? I trust you to deal with this the way you see fit. That yes. I'm not going to hold this over them. I'm not going to hold this over myself. I'm going to give it to you and trust you to be my defender and that you will reconcile this, not uh, not require you know something of them necessarily. Uh, that's a hard place to be. But I, I think when you start to dig into your story, um, there are moments and pockets of time where um, you may have been wounded by someone and it's not simply a matter of relinquishing the lie that you believe, but it's also a matter of dealing with the unforgiveness in your own heart towards them. Um, and it's a complex thing because what if, what if your perpetrator or the person who hurt you is, uh, has passed away? Right. Or what if there's what if they're unsafe to the extent of they can't ask for forgiveness because there's no contact? Um, I think there is a vertical yep. uh, nature to our relationship with God where we can release it to Him and let Him fill that space. Um, yeah, but that, that's a hard that's a hard conversation, Jill. <laughs> I know <laughs> it is. Well, I like to say that that really is untangling our heart, and you know, our heart gets all tangled up, and we may not be able to work that out with the other person to untangle it, but we can yeah. work that out with the Lord to untangle yeah. it. He He is that big, and um, and so He He can help us to untangle that. So, yeah, in the Old Testament. You know, when when there was an issue of unforgiveness or a wrong had been done, Mm -hmm. they not only had to repent, but they also had to offer restitution. They had to make it right. Yeah. And obviously, we don't live under the same laws, um, but Jesus said he he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And so there's something to be said of this exchange and this scale, this weight of what has been done wrong and something to make it right. And I I think in those cases, when something has been genuinely um, taken from us and there is a debt to be paid, we have to trust that the Lord can fill that place. I I think there were so many times in my life where um, what I needed, I was looking to other people to fill that void Mm -hmm. and ultimately God wanted to be the one to meet my need, but I wasn't even letting him because right. I just, I, I didn't see him as my ultimate source. And, um, I was codependent and looking at other people to, to fill my needs and to make me okay. And man, it takes a place of just listening to the Lord to hear what he has to say about something and let him fill those needs in your heart. Um, yeah. It's a prayer. You 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 need to listen more than you need to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is such a good conversation. Thank you. So good. I have two things I want to ask you about before we kind of bring things to a close here, because I think we could talk all afternoon. But um, 
One, you write in your book about a trip to Uganda, and my husband and I are headed there in just a few weeks. Yay! Um, Where are you going? We will be in Jenja and Kampala. Yes, I know Kampala well. So uh, my husband and I, um, he had known for over eight years that he couldn't have kids, and I was told I would need a surgery and shots. And long story short, we went to Uganda for... Um, a, a worship leading camp to help teach the Watoto children there uh, to be worship leaders. And I was leading a song called Miracles. And I look over to my right and my husband is on the ground crying and moving his back all weird ways. And we have been told by doctors that his infertility most likely had to do with the back injury he sustained. And so um, his back had been hurting because we we're, you know, sleeping on cots and on the floor and we've been traveling for many hours. And um he came up to me in the middle of the song and said i think i just healed my back i can't get it to hurt and he was just weeping and they they prayed for us that night that we'd be able to have a baby and we were pregnant three months later (gasps) yeah so that's our uganda story i i love africa it's my happy place um but i do have a special place in my heart for uganda because that's where that happens so oh my goodness yes wow well i'll tell you us going is a whole god story in of itself literally i met a man on a sidewalk in montgomery alabama no yeah. kidding. It was the weirdest thing uh, about a year ago. And uh, he and several other uh, men had been praying for someone to come minister to the marriages in Uganda. And uh, wow. it was like, I mean, it was just one God story after another. So we're we're like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but we're just, we're being obedient I and going. It. I love so. it. Loved reading about that for you guys. The other thing I want to ask you about is you devoted an entire chapter of your book uh, about your relationship with David and Helen Smallbone and their influence that they had upon you and Keith. And so talk just for a moment about that, because I want, I just want people to realize the impact they can have on other people. And so talk about that and why that was important for you. Well, you know, for, for the listeners who don't know who David and Helen are, uh, David and Helen are the parents of uh, Christian artists, Rebecca St. James, and also for King and country. And they have been in the the music industry a long time and in ministry. And, um, you know, I was leading worship here at church of the city in Franklin, where we attend, uh, that's our home church here. And when I went backstage, um, or when I finished that day, David Smallbone came up to um, my husband and said, who is that? And he said, that's actually my wife, because uh, he, he didn't know that, that we were married. And, um, and he said, I want to talk to her. And he said, you're anointed, blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to take you guys to coffee. And so we met for coffee that week. And I was in a, a very pivotal season of life where um my husband was you know working while i was trying to you know write songs and he was trying to provide for us but i was also holding down the fort while he was touring and um that's a it's a different life we lead as musicians uh, in the touring sense and so we were just in a hard season of trying to make ends meet and also trying to start this ministry that i felt god calling me to and um and we felt god calling us to and so uh i was really having trouble 
um, handing things off. Cause I mm. thought I, I can cut my own grass. I can clean my own house. I can do all this. And I grew up, you know, poor too. So we did everything ourselves, changed our oil, our tires, everything. And so, um, I was like, I'm not going to hire somebody to do anything that I can't, mm-hmm. that I can do. And mm-hmm. so uh, David said to me, and this is where my life shifted. Honestly, he said, would you rather clean your own house or would you rather write a song that affects the world and brings people closer to God? And I thought, wow, I've never thought of it that way. Uh, he said, you need to do what only you can do. He said, if someone else can do it, you need to try to get help and have them help you do it. And so I hired a house cleaner. Oh, it was such a pinch on our budget. It was so hard to do. Um, (laughs) But I hired a house cleaner because it was one less thing that I had to stress over. I hired somebody to do the lawn, not to mention the fact that I was allergic to grass anyway, so it hurt my singing voice. (laughs) And so um, I started offloading things and just pinching as many pennies and just trusting God to provide. And it was a powerful change that started happening. Things started blossoming, things started rolling. And uh, David was very influential in my life in that season, uh, just encouraging me. And then Helen, um, you know, raising all her kids. I don't know. I think they had six, six kids, maybe five or six. you lose count after a while, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> she, she raised them on the road touring and, and seeing that it can be done. She said, I trusted God that they would, uh, know what they were supposed to know, not necessarily what the state's educational law said that they needed to know. Like, mm-hmm. um, she just trusted God and they've, they've blossomed in life because of it. And I think as a mom who's touring, you know, I'm in a, an interesting seat being one who has, held down the fort while their husband tours, but also I tour while he holds down the fort and sometimes we go together. And so, um, it's, it's not an easy life, but God has called us to it. And he, when he calls you, he calls your family too. And so I think I've rest had to rest in that fact that he's called our family to it. And David and Helen have been wonderful examples of, um, keeping the main thing, the main thing. And being mm-hmm. able to do it successfully as a family for this many years and not losing their minds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, sometimes even the tiniest little bit of wisdom that we can offer to someone because we've been there. I mean, he could probably only offer that wisdom to you because at some point he had had to learn that lesson. Yeah. Right. And so we just never need to. We, we we shouldn't underestimate the impact that we need each other. So thank you for sharing that. Well, um, if you've been listening, uh, please make sure that you go out and take a listen to uh, Tasha's incredible song, Look What You've Done, but also pick up her book, uh, Look What You've Done, The Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. And we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Tasha, where's the best place for people to find you online? Yeah, the website is just TashaLayton.com and then all socials are just Tasha Layton. And uh, it's it's all on there. They can keep in touch through Instagram and Facebook and all the things. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as we bring this to a close, Tasha, would you be willing to pray for our listeners? And I would love to. That would be great. 
Well, Jesus, we just thank you for who you are, that you are a way maker and a miracle worker, and you're working even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it. And uh, even now, God, for the listeners who are out there who have felt stuck, um, you've been working on that the whole time. You've been mm-hmm. working on it, and you're, you who have begun a good work, you will be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, I ask right now that each person listening would uh, would begin to see your handiwork throughout their story, even in the ugly parts, even in the, the mountains and the valleys, um, so to speak, and that they would see where things started, that you would begin to reveal to them Um, instances where you want to bring healing and you want to rip out that lie and replace it with your truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we trust you to be that. And God, I also, um, I love when David says, you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. I I thank you that it's not all up to them, Uh, that people out there listening who are struggling with a certain part of their life or their life as a whole, um, that they would be able to take some of the pressure off, that they don't have to fix themselves, that they don't have to be uh, fully responsible all alone to do the work, but you will be there with them hand in hand, coming alongside and bringing comfort throughout the way. And so, God, we trust you to be that. We trust you to be who you are. We believe in you and we believe that you can do what you say you can do, God, that you can heal, you can deliver, you can pick our feet up out of a pit and set us on a rock. And so, Lord, we love you um, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do. We worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free eBooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.